This episode of This Week in HPC is sponsored by Data Vortex, a supercomputer for the hard problems. DataVortex.com. This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Distributed by Inside HPC. IBM hands off fabs to global foundries. And Poland gets its first petaflop super. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening in to This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. Michael, an interesting uh, topic in This Week in HPC. You know, we've talked about various acquisitions in the industry over time, and this week we had an acquisition with a negative purchase price. Yeah, that, that doesn't happen very often, but this uh, it did happen this week. IBM basically sold off, if we can say sold off, it's uh, it's microelectronics unit, IBM Microelectronics, to Global Foundries, but it ended up paying them uh, a bit over one billion, or will pay them over a bit uh, over one billion dollars for the uh, to do that. It's basically giving them the foundries and some intellectual property, and then it's going to pay them one point three to one point five billion over the next uh, few years to do that to take over those foundries. Right, the the reported price of one point five billion dollars, but that's going to be netted out of some balance sheet items in the transfer, like working capital, inventory, and the like. So the net might be more like one point three billion, as you're saying. Very unusual situation where you wind up paying somebody to take something. Normally, you'd say, well, you've got an unprofitable business unit, just shut it down. You can close it down for free, right? Except that in this case, you you also kind of can't because IBM relies on these. Chips that are being fabbed across all of its other businesses. So what it really wants to do is keep designing the chips, the power chips, the Z chips, etc., but getting get out of the fab business where they've been consistently losing money and pass it off to somebody who can maybe do it a little more efficiently. Right. The bottom line here is they they didn't have uh, the chip business of any kind of scale that would that would allow them to uh, you know maintain fabs. Uh, at, at a profitable margin. I mean, they were losing basically hundreds of millions of dollars every year uh, for for chips that basically were generating a one to two billion dollars. So it was a losing proposition all the way around. But they needed those fabs because they still have these chips that they 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 want to produce and and put into their servers. So they sort of needed everything, but they they couldn't just you know rationalize just keeping these things around and losing hundreds of millions of dollars a year on them. So so Global Founders was a good company for this because they've got the very similar fabs in, in different geographies and then they were willing to basically take these off their hands and as well as take some of the patents uh, from IBM's willing to offer for some of these things and it was basically a win-win for for both for both <laughs> vendors. I agree. I think this is a good transaction for both vendors. It's no surprise to the industry that IBM would want to get rid of the fab business. I think they've been trying to do it. It's probably a negotiation that's been going on for some time, and it becomes of increased importance to the extent that IBM is now a full-on competitor to Intel, not only in chips, but across other types of enterprise IT markets, uh, in, uh, in, in file systems, and in networking, and, and other areas. Uh, IBM and Intel are competitors, and they need to get this fab business straightened out. I think this lets IBM really focus on uh, semiconducting research and, and the design of the chips without worrying about the fab as much going forward. Right. They're still going to do the, the semiconductor technology research. In fact, they're going to share some of that 
those results with global foundries, and they'll have quote unquote primary access to, to, to some of that research. But they're they're still going to invest in that uh, to the tone of three billion dollars over the next five years. So it's not like they've given up the semiconductor business in that sense. They're still going to be working on it. They're just going to give up the hardware side of it. So now some people pointed to IBM stock price also taking a hit coincidentally. But uh, you know I I'm not convinced that that had anything much to do with the global foundries news. IBM also had an earnings announcement around the same time that disappointed street expectations. I think they lowered their guidance a little bit going forward. Uh, uh, so, you, you know, you, you release bad news in conjunction with uh, with negative sounding news, and it's hard to segregate out what had to do with what. But but I think the drop in stock price probably had more to do with the earnings announcement than the, than the global foundries deal. Oh, yeah, I, I think so, too. In fact, I would think the foundries deal, if anything, would, would buy investors. They would think this is a good thing for, for the long term, especially. I mean, they're going to have to pay out this money for three years, but over the long term, this is this is a deal that should serve IBM very well. Yeah, IBM is one of these companies where you can say, well, it's only a billion dollars. It doesn't matter so much, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's one of the few companies that can say that. You know, <laughs> we, we should mention it. I think this is even maybe a more, more important, important part of this deal. IBM is going to give Global Foundries sort of an exclusive partnership to provide its processor uh, a server processor for the next 10 years. So this will take them through 22 nanometers, 14 nanometers, and 10 nanometers uh, up until the next decade. Um, that's a nice exclusive relationship for global foundries. Uh, it puts IBM in a situation where they they don't have very many options, but I think they have the confidence that global foundries can now, especially if they're going to work with them closely on semiconductor technology, will give them what they need for their, their power chips and some of their other chips. Yeah, I appreciate you pointing pointing out that aspect of the deal to me. I agree. You know, you think about 10 years in the construct of, of this industry and, you know, where were each of us 10 years ago? What were we doing? What was the technology like? A lot really changes in the course of 10 years in this industry. And, and with regards to uh, the microprocessor space specifically, we're really at the cusp of a, a, a new generational change in how parallel computing is represented in the market, where you've got multi-core, you've got mini-core accelerators, you've got ARM coming into the market, and it's not, there's a lot of uncertainty, as we've said on this podcast before, about what the dominant paradigm is going to look like uh, going forward even five years from now, let alone 10. So, for global foundries to have an exclusive on that for that length of time, I think is really significant. Well, and also, when you look at the 10-year time frame, that basically takes what everybody thinks, or what most people think, will take you to the end of Moore's Law, where basically the CMOS technology will 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 stagnate around 10 nanometers or maybe 7 nanometers, and that'll basically be the, the end of... Uh, the progression in chipset reduction. So basically, it's you know, I don't know to... about that though. I mean, people keep talking about the end of Moore's law. The most clever quip I've heard around this, and I don't even know who to attribute it to because I've heard it a few times. But uh, but uh, I've heard people saying the number of people predicting the end of Moore's law is doubling roughly every eighteen <laughs> months, and you know, it's starting to feel like that. I you know, we're talking about where were we ten years ago when I first started in this industry, which is certainly more than ten years ago, people were talking about the end of Moore's Law. And, uh, you know, we haven't reached it yet. So, I, I guess it's certainly possible, but, uh, you know, I don't know that end of Moore's Law is the thing that's dominating my thinking there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly possible that somebody will be able to come up with something to extend it, but I think uh, the, the smart money is saying we're, we're sort of reaching the end of the physics here that's sort of controlling everything. So, Well, that, I, you know, that is certainly the case. You get to some practical limitations like the speed of light and the width of an atom, neither right. of which is, is really going to change. We've broken down all the other various walls that people have talked about, the power wall, the memory wall, and well, while these things are still significant constraints, you know, how to get all the heat out of the system, there are things that uh, that chip manufacturers have managed over the past 15, 20 years and continued to put out uh, more and more transistors onto a chip, onto a die. Uh, once you get down to, well, a wire really practically isn't going to be thinner than one atom or, you know, no signal is going to move faster than the speed of light. Now, now you're talking about constraints that I don't know how you're going to engineer around them. Right. And it's worth mentioning that that, that research that IBM is, is putting into semiconductor technology and other advanced research is looking at some of the follow-on technologies for beyond CMOS that, that maybe can go forward after, uh, after the transistor densities run out. So IBM moves fabs to global foundries, pays them to do it. But but uh, what do we think? A good long-term move for the future for this company? Yeah, definitely. I think so. All right, Michael, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and hit our other top story of this week as Poland moves into the petaflop era. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Super strength, flight, laser vision, running really fast in a straight line? Save me, super fast boating guy! If your supercomputer could do anything, what would you do with it? Cure a disease, predict the weather, find oil, run Linpack? At SC14, Data Vortex will unveil a completely new kind of supercomputer, one that solves your problems, the hard problems. Move over, Linpack. There's a new supercomputer in town. Learn more at datavortex.com. Okay, Michael, we're back in. And also this week in HPC, we've got Poland moving into the Petaflop Club with a new supercomputer called Prometheus. It's 1.7 petaflops installed at an academic research lab called Cyphronet. Yeah, it's uh, it's the first petaflop, like you said, the first petaflop supercomputer in uh, in Poland. The previous top system there was 373 teraflops. That was a supercomputer called Zeus, which uh, was installed a couple of years ago. This one is is much larger than that, much larger memory footprint, RAM, disk storage, everything. Um, but yeah, first uh, petaflop super in Poland and the largest now in Central and Eastern Europe. You know, I, this was stories reported in Inside HPC, and we followed the, the links and got some of the translations on things. The first thing I noticed about this system, as, as reported in Inside HPC, was that it's a, an HP Apollo 8000 system. I, I think this is a very noteworthy win for that new system. Yeah, we've talked about the Apollo 8000 fairly, or the most recent uh, supercomputer platform by HP, and, and yeah, this was a, a great win for them, and it's actually going to be the biggest system, the biggest system announced at least for that for that platform, and uh, certainly the largest in Europe. Um, 
Yeah, that's it's an FDR Infiniband band system the, with with the large the high capacity bandwidth. It's going to use the latest Haswell Intel uh, CPUs as well. So it's a very up to date system and and using HP's newest technology. You know, you go back to that launch of that Apollo 8000 system or around the International Supercomputing Conference timeframe, and we were saying in the wrap-up from that conference that we thought this was a, a significant system uh, for the supercomputing space, and uh, here is a validation of that, really, with, with HP coming in. I, I think this is going to continue to be an interesting system. Now, of course, it's HP. They're talking a lot about energy efficiency, uh, CypherNet claiming this is one of the most energy-efficient petaflop-scale supercomputers in the market. But I, I personally think we're going to be seeing more from HP in this space. Yeah, it's interesting. The first very large system from this Apollo 8000 went into Poland. Of course, the, the previous system there, the Zeus system, was also an HP system, so maybe they had a little inside track there. But yeah, I think we'll, we'll start to see the Apollo 8000 system start to pop up at in different places, especially ones that, that had previous HP systems or that are just looking to install new systems and are, are you know, maybe had an IBM Dataplex system in there before or something else and, and are going to recompete that. But yeah, I, I think there's a there's an interesting future ahead for the 8000 series. Another thing I noticed on this announcement is the they released the purchase price. They said it was worth 41 million zlotties, Lotties, which yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> there's it's one of my favorite. It's a great Scrabble word, by the way, the zloty, uh, and uh, and that equates to 12 and a quarter million dollars. Which when we did the math, that's about seven dollars and twenty cents a gigaflop. That seems like a pretty good price. That does. I mean, the the price of a petaflop still keeps coming down. I mean, it's twelve million now. Um, I think at some point, you know, you'll be able to get a petaflop for a million dollars in the not too distant future. So, um, you know. Poland's not the largest company or largest country in Europe, but it's able to, to put together enough resources to actually buy a petaflop supercomputer. And now you see that why there's there's so many petaflop supers now. They're actually coming down in price where uh, even small companies and very large organizations can afford such a system now. Another thing I'm looking at in this configuration is they're saying there's 216 terabytes of DDR4 memory. That's against 41,472 cores. That amounts to about 5.2 gigabytes a core. So it's uh, it's it's right in there around the average uh, configurations that we're seeing, where you know memory per core is staying pretty robust. And then the more cores that you put into a system, the the more memory that you need. I, you're talking about 200. 16 terabytes of memory for this system. Yeah, obviously there's a that's, a that's a lot of memory, but like you said, there's a lot of cores there, and and the, and the density of the system such that I mean, basically you've got 41k cores, you've only got slightly over 1500 servers. I think like 1700 something servers for that. So there's it, it's quite a lot of power and and really not that big a footprint anymore. But yeah, you're right, lots of memory, and you need that as as the core counts uh, just keep rising. It's one of the big challenges for parallelism at that level of scale. You know, you've got this level of parallelism on the socket, and I'm sure that one thing they're going to be working on is how do you get applications to scale out to that many cores uh, where you're dealing with with the parallelism not only uh, over the switch but also on the socket. Yeah, in this case, the the application set is is what you'd expect from an academic uh, supercomputer. We're talking about chemistry, physics, astrophysics, biology, energy, nanotechnology. 
technology, some of those applications have scaled very well, some some not so well, but certainly they'll be looking to to get those and, and, and use as much of those petaflops as they can and, and those systems. They've got quite a um, quite a research group using that. Actually, it's it's an academic system, so they're actually they're giving time away for free. I guess you bid for it, but the actual time you get is free for this research. And I think there's like 2,500 uh, researchers that are using such systems on the current Zeus system, and presumably there'll be as many on this uh, the new Prometheus system. And then one final thing that you hate to overlook is that, by the way, there's also 10, uh, 10 petabytes of disk space here. Right, 10 petabytes, so a very large uh, storage system as well. They didn't go into any detail on what the uh, configuration is or the vendor, if HP wasn't doing it themselves, but a very large uh, external storage system for sure. So another uh, exciting development. We get more and more petaflop supercomputers out there. What are we at? About thirty of them now. <laughs> yeah, I think there's about thirty. Yep, and they keep. Or growing. this is this is the thirty number thirty in the world, and there are others that are less than one point seven. They're still in the petaflop club. So it's clearly more than thirty. We got to be up to around fifty, probably. Uh, uh, I haven't. Uh, I'm not sitting here with a tally going on how many petaflop supers there are. Maybe by the time we get to the next top five hundred list, uh, it's supercomputing in a month. We can sit back and count up uh, how many we're at. Yeah, definitely. That's coming right up. Supercomputing is coming right up, and we'll be able to preview that soon. Uh, I'm still putting our calendar together, Michael. We're going to be busy, but uh, yep. we'll cover that on a future show. Uh, good news this week. Thanks to everybody for listening. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing, distributed by Inside HPC, news without noise for the high-performance computing professional. For more information, visit intersect360.com and insidehpc.com.